This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Dooner, welcome to Friday, everybody. We made it. We made it. Those of you out here in uh, Chattanooga, let's uh, let's all give each other a little round of applause. There was uh, there was about an inch of snow that fell on Tuesday, and it's it's uh, we've been in shambles ever since. School has been canceled every single day this week. But unlike the Northeast, out here we don't really salt stuff that much. So there's like entire areas of Chattanooga that even with just like that that inch of snow and that ice sheet that came up underneath it. You can't go anywhere. I don't know. Craig Fuller said one of his vehicles fell off a ditch. By the way, little uh, I don't know if this is a supply chain issue, but I'm not, I don't mind either way. Mustafa Aziz at Zoom app, his Christmas gift. If you remember his video on a very what the truck Christmas, he had a wrap present. He put it in the mail. It's finally arrived. They're a pair of Nike by you. <laughs> Nike by you. I got some of these from Sean Leilacher too, from Loyalty. His was like Charlotte Hornets colors. Let's see what my boy Mustafa went with here. Let's take a look. Oh, look at these. Custom sneakers, show color. We got the red, we got the white, we got the black. It says WTT right on the back here. I used to have to classify these things back when I worked on the ocean side, although I had Reebok, not, uh, not Nike. But thank you so much, Mustafa. By the way, those of you out there, I'm a size 11 and a half in case you're trying to add to my collection here. Not that it's necessary, but there we go. Hey, yesterday, Big State of Freight, State of Freight, the first one of the year. Craig Fuller, Zach Strickland, a few key takeaways before we get to our first guest. Those frozen roads I was just talking about, it's not just Chattanooga. It's been uh, mostly the whole country this year in January. As I mentioned, my kids have only been to school four days this year. That's less lunches, less school supplies, less crap I have to buy them. And this came up in the State of Freight. Craig and Zach were saying that... All of this ice and snow slowed down delivery is going to take a chunk out of the purchasing that has gone on this week at a time when we're seeing tender rejections be pretty low. We're seeing capacity be pretty high and we're seeing uh, the rates not be there. Speaking of capacity, though, Craig Fuller is bullish. Now, if you remember, Craig is the guy who predicted the bloodbath in 2019, talked about the bloodbath back in 2022. Well, we're seeing some capacity burn off now. He is bullish that freight rates are going to return. He says tender volumes exceeded last year's levels coming into January. Uh, the combination of all the data, he said, is that the soft market of early 2023 is in a completely different direction this year. Now, for you shippers out there, things get more expensive. We already talked about on the uh, on the land side, this could go up a little bit. But on the water side, you're already seeing it. Rates are up due to the Red Sea and Panama Canal conflict. We're seeing a shift in ports going on. That's a great chart by Sal, by the way, showing some of the movement. And he said, uh, what's actually shifting now, Craig Fuller said, is freight away from the Panama Canal back to the U.S. West Coast. Remember that, 2021, container getting that was going on over there? Well, people are trying to avoid the Red Sea, trying to avoid the Panama Canal, West Coast port, heating up again, could cause some congestion, could cause some issues, and rates for you are already up four times, spot rates. And that's not just going through the Red Sea. I'm talking China to U.S. spot rates already up 4X. We may be seeing, I don't know, by spring, by summer, $20,000 boxes. I do have a shipper on next. I'll talk to him if he's concerned about that threat of all that's happening. The other big issue is insurance. You're trying to insure this freight. You're starting to look at like wartime risk insurance. That has gotten really expensive too. Could be a tough year. And it's a year when a lot of a uh, a lot of shippers, a lot of companies just trying to fight through this thing, just trying to survive. We'll get some clarity. That chart from Sal, by the way, he says the sun is trailing, trailing, sailing through the Suez Canal has just plummeted from a high of almost 6 million tons a day. It has fallen to half that amount, 3 million 
Tons. Big changes going on at sea. Hey, on episode 671 of What the Truck, we have some awesome guests. We're talking to Amazon's top plush seller. He just made a documentary about Amazon. He's going to talk to us about the state of e-com, what it's like to sell on Amazon, what's happening over in his warehouse. He looks all bundled up. It must be cold as hell in Texas, just like it is here. And he's even going to give us some of his unique life lessons. I like to think of him as like the Willy Wonka of e-commerce. And I'm sure he'll take that as a compliment. Zero Rigs, Ollie Danner, and EV Semi Fleet Corps, Jay Guerrero. They're going to talk about what wear means for 4,000 warehouses in SoCal. And you're afraid these are new emission laws that are coming in. Y'all know about CARB on the trucking side. Well, there's new emission laws that are, are regulations that are hitting warehouses, too. We'll help you navigate all those. We'll also talk about the state of EVs in California as both these companies. That's what they deal, deal in. We have Reliance Partners, Jackson Alexander. is going to tell us everything we need to know about truck insurance renewals. Uh, we've also got the dangers of following your GPS, fallout bunkers, cargo theft in Memphis, and much more. But the beautiful, wonderful Molson Hart is sitting there all bundled up in his warehouse today. So let's bring it up. Molson, you look great, man. What's up? But you look you look cold. Yeah, the chocolate factory right now is really cold. <laughs> what, what what are you getting in, in uh in Texas right now? What was the thermometer today? I think I think it's around 40 right now. It's around 40 degrees. And we were supposed to get a container, you know, to your point earlier about things getting delayed with the ice or even just the cold. We were supposed to get a container uh, about an hour ago and it hasn't showed up. And it's uh, so we're just all waiting. We're just waiting for that container to come so we can unload it. How does that like let's start there. How does that impact a, a, a warehouse like yours? You're coming in, you're trying to receive this thing and it doesn't even show up. Yeah, so it was a it was a big problem. All right, so first of all, partially because of the cold, we we booked temporary labor um, for to unload that container because our containers are floor loaded. And then what ended up happening is something like three out of four, or maybe it was two out of three of those um, those guys that we booked, they didn't show up. And then the container, one guy did. We got we got an old timer. He seems pretty cool. He you know he showed up. But uh, the basically, then the container got delayed like two hours, and some other container got delayed a, a day, which was a problem. But it's a real problem when the containers get pushed a day or if they get delayed in the time because we've only booked the temporary labor from, let's say, 10 a.m. when it was supposed to come to like 2 p.m. or whatever. And it takes a really long time to unload these containers, and so then the temporary labor has like nothing – like that guy, his <laughs> name is Sam, has has nothing to do right now. We're just waiting for the container. So it causes all sorts of problems and it adds to the cost actually as well. Yeah, nothing's easy. Nothing is easy in shipping. I don't know why any of us decide to get into this world. It's such a challenge. You mentioned you mentioned something interesting though. Sometimes they don't even show up. Uh, how has sort of hiring been, even in the temporary side, getting some of these Oompa Loompas in the warehouse to unload? <laughs> um, it, hiring was like extremely difficult in 2020 it was also really hard in 2021 maybe in 2022 it got a little bit easier in 2023 it's easier now i mean we're we're paying a lot more too like i'll be honest like i kind of had to learn the hard way that like if you want people to come to work you have to pay them like good wages um that makes me sound horrible but you know um so it's harder to hire still now than it is in 2019 in this area of work um in industrial but uh, we're we're managing and i think like the basically the problem we have today is just that late container and it's really cold and who wants to unload thirty-five thousand pounds of brain flakes when it's 40 degrees both outside and inside the warehouse now, for people who don't know, Molson's uh, sort of bread and butter are these brain flakes, which are interlocking discs. Uh, my kids use them. I actually just got my buddy Jet McCandless. He has two young sons. Uh, for Christmas, I sent him those in that that kangaroo out of your warehouse. And by the way, thank you for your customer service during that. It was it was fantastic making sure everything arrived there. And the year before, I got him your giant giraffe. Molson's bread and butter is these sort of big showcase stuffed animals. And I remember I got my boys like a, one of those giant giraffes when they were two. And it was their favorite thing. And Jet sends me pictures all the time of his boys just like running around, holding, tackling, wrestling this, this giraffe. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's a fantastic gift if you know someone who has kids. I agree. Thank you. 
I agree. Well, but you know, you're in a tough space. Toys, right? There's so much competition. I even see like my kids now. They're seven and nine. When they were younger, they used to love to get Star Wars figures, Transformers, those kind of things. And you know, now they've hit the video games and they're into Minecraft and they're into that. They're still using some brain flakes. They're still they're still into the Legos. But in terms of like action figures and stuff, they don't touch it. But you go on this about you 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 bring two things together. You talk about the population decline in the U.S. and toys. Are toys the canary in the coal mine of population decline, or is it? Green time factoring into that i hope not um so yeah so people are having fewer kids um we i wouldn't say that we have like population decline in the u.s right now i'm not sure what the actual numbers are so i could be wrong about that but we're getting lots of immigrants into the u.s so i'm not sure our population is declining but i do think that the population of young kids is declining and our sales in 2022 Three were six percent lower than in 2022. Our sales are on, on Amazon were down 14 percent. These are bad things. It's not clear to me whether or not it's like more kids playing with iPads or PS8s or whatever the, the PlayStation is on now, or whether there are fewer kids or there are all sorts of crazy factors. Because in 2020, 2021, and 20. 22 people weren't like traveling as much there were lockdowns people were home from school and so there was you know parents bought like a ton of toys for their kids to keep them occupied during those periods of time so maybe that's what we're seeing i'm not and then also you know there could just be like more supply in the market and but the wall street journal did say that toys sales were down outside of a few areas and that's what we saw in our own business and so as you said it'll be super super interesting to see if you have like toy sales down or like consumer product goods sales down get layered onto this potential problem with containers getting more expensive with the Suez uh, issue that everybody's facing now. Uh, are you concerned about, are you, are you in fear of 20,000 boxes coming to you in, in a few months or have you tried to book anything recently? Our personal record is $25,000, I think, to move a container with a giant dent in it that could only be filled 80% from Indonesia to, uh, like, Washington, Tacoma Park, uh, Tacoma. Um, Yeah, I'm a little scared. Uh, I think container rates, as you were saying, on the West Coast, like, doubled or tripled for us. And so it's it's a bad combo. Um, Things are getting a lot more expensive, and I think that they will continue to rise. But anything could happen, right, If, if the Suez opens up then we'll have less uh, supply supply constraints and maybe prices will go down. I'm not sure. Now, you recently released a pretty eye-opening documentary about uh, the experience of Amazon sellers, your own experience. You're featured in it. You're wearing a really fantastic uh, button-down Texas flag shirt. Uh, I was going to ask you where yeah. you got that from. I thought it was a, it was a good look for on air. How much, how much time did you spend making the decision on wearing that shirt? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Um, I... So what happened was our warehouse used to be three and a half hours away. And one day I forgot. So I would like go there for a couple of days and uh, I forgot my suitcase at home. And I was like, man, I don't want to wear the same thing for the next four days. So on the way to the warehouse, I like found a Walmart in southern that southeast Dallas. And I was like, all right, I got to buy some clothes. And I saw this awesome Texas shirt. And so I bought it and it made its way into the documentary. Um yeah, the documentary is called Amazon Market um, Power Monopoly? Question mark. I should know the name of my own. And it's really cool, and it'll teach you about what's going on on the the back end of Amazon and all that cool stuff. And in terms of like the decision to 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 make it, I don't know, man. I I just I thought it was an opportunity to make history to to release something really cool that would stand the test of time. And when you have an opportunity like that, you just have to go for it, even if it's a little bit risky. And um, Amazon hasn't suspended us from their platform yet. 
Yeah, I was going to wonder, did because I thought the documentary was was pretty fair. The, the title was maybe the most shocking part about it. I mean, most of the stuff in there is things that I think a lot of us who follow Amazon have heard bits and pieces of things that you've said during your interviews, bits and pieces of stuff that if you follow your timeline or you talk to other Amazon sellers, you've heard it's the challenges of uh, them raising rates out of nowhere, the way you have to normalize your rates through, through search. But let, let's go through it a little bit. What are some of the issues? Like one of them I always find interesting is Amazon Basics, and I bet a lot of people do. What is like an Amazon basic and and have has your stuff been has like have they basic um brain flakes or anything like that yet amazon uh has not basic brain flakes and i wish they would because i'm oh. coming i'm real hard for that you come in brain flakes <laughs> we're coming for you amazon okay. but uh one, one time they didn't quite amazon basics us but we were selling this giant lion plush and it seemed like Amazon worked with one of their vendors to, I don't want to say knock it off, but to release a very similar lion plush. Um, and so basically I think Amazon basics, that team that like they monitor the products that are selling best on their platform. And I think they've cut it back a little bit because a lot of that programs not, wasn't super profitable, but they, uh, they'll, they'll copy products that are sold by sellers on the platform and you just got to deal with it. Uh, it can be rough. Um, I used to work, my former boss before I came over here, he worked in that division over there. They're supposed to identify sort of products and what categories Amazon could move into based on what's available and what factories they knew and stuff. But I think to a lot of people, it looks like they're ripping someone's goods off, which could be really challenging if you're a seller locked into a category and suddenly you have this new competition out of Amazon. But one of the issues with the two is that Amazon Basics cuts rates, right? They cut them significantly. And you as a seller to compete, you have to drop your rates. But one I found interesting in the documentary was that when Amazon forces a change in rates, you have to do this to everywhere that you're selling. Why is that? Yeah. So if you price your products off of Amazon less than you price them on Amazon, Amazon will turn your products off on Amazon. So to give an example, if we have brain flakes for $15 on walmart.com, and we have it selling for $17 on Amazon.com. Amazon will hide brain flakes on Amazon. So because these other platforms like Walmart can be less expensive to sell on than Amazon, you have to raise the prices off of Amazon on Walmart in order to continue selling on Amazon. And so Amazon has this really horrible pricing policy, which you can learn about in the documentary, to that basically causes prices to go up like across the entire online e-commerce ecosystem. And it really sucks. And I don't understand why they don't change it. Maybe they should watch the documentary. Maybe they should, you know, even searching on Amazon, like as a consumer, the consumer experience, and I'm sure we've all sort of noticed the change. Like you'll go on there and you go Ninja Blender, you'll search Ninja Blender, and it may not be the top result. It might be like all these weird like Chinese brands that you've you've never, ever heard of. Why is that? How does this search work? Because in your doc, it sounded a lot like it was like Google AdWords or something like you're paying for this placement, you're paying for these keywords and you're paying a decent amount. Yeah, it's wild. Um. You know, depending on what browser you use, if you're on the phone or whatever, the top seven search results can be ads. And something like 19 out of the top 39 can be ads as well. And we've paid something like $86,000 to Amazon to show our brand, Brainflakes, to customers who are searching Brainflakes on Amazon. So you have to pay Amazon to show your products when the customer is asking for your products. And it's really crazy. And that's one of the reasons why prices on Amazon are going up and up and up. Because if you don't want you know, a bunch of Chinese brands ahead of your, your products, when a customer is searching your brand, you gotta pay Amazon their, their toll, their fee. It really sucks. You know, it's, it has had an interesting effect because like a lot of us, I used to just use Amazon and they used to have the lowest rates and you would just assume they had the lowest rates you wouldn't go search. And then over the past few years, I think that's that's changed. And because they normalize pricing so much, now I just Google whatever I'm looking for and I look at the line of prices. But what you'll see is that most of them homogenize. Is that the Amazon like algorithm in the back end saying, oh, no, that's like $35 at Walmart. You're selling it for $36.75 here. Fix that. Yeah, I, I, a lot of the in a lot of cases that actually is the um, the Amazon algorithm um, homogenizing. 
guys, could you be a little bit quiet? Sorry, um, we're in the warehouse. The, that might be the Amazon platform um, homogenizing prices across a bunch of different products. And so you will very rarely see Walmart cheaper than Amazon um, for the same product um, because the, the because of this algorithm that I described that causes the products to, to stop appearing on Amazon. Now, Molson, we're a we're a trucking show, and even trucking came up in your documentary. And I was uh, I was I was curious about that. How does that work? Like, if you want to pick a carrier, and you are Amazon, and, and in the documentary, like ninety five percent of your distribution, whether you like it or not, in toys has to be through Amazon. You just wouldn't survive otherwise. But with that comes some parameters. Does that mean you have to use their carriers too, like their approved uh, truckload carriers? You don't have to, but if you so basically. We've used both brokers and we've gone direct and we've used Amazon Freight, which is Amazon's own carriers. And you don't have to use Amazon's carriers, but what ends up happening is that Amazon, I believe, preferences their own carriers. So if you want to make a delivery to an Amazon warehouse, Amazon will be like, all right, bring in the Amazon Freight's truck, the Amazon Freight trucks in first and all these other guys, um, whether it's Swift or whatever, you know, more truckers than I do, they're forced to wait. And so what ends up happening is that you get faster deliveries into Amazon if you use Amazon Freight. And we're going to get and we're going to, in some cases, end up being charged less wait time because Amazon Freight, they're not going to charge wait time because they're going to go right into the warehouse. Whereas if we use some other trucking company, they could, in some cases, just be waiting, lining up at a California fulfillment center for hours trying to get in there and make a delivery. So. So it's it's like balancing like you know pricing at the front end versus wait time versus speed of delivery and it's just kind of a little complicated to make that decision but we do our best. Now you're always making decisions to stay competitive and there's there's been a knockout product that has just taken over the mind space especially on X. It's this Stanley right here. Take a look at this video and and Molson, how do we replicate this in in toys? Is it like backpacks for stuffed animals? Is it like I think this is a snack tray they got going on? Uh, so I think we need to fill up a Stanley. Why, why am I calling it a Stanley steamer? A Stanley cup <laughs> up with brain flakes, which are like a choking hazard. And well, we, we say it's three plus, and that's how we need to replicate the success. You know, you need to be putting brain flakes with milk in your Stanley cup, and you need to be eating those every single day because that's what gets um, you know you to be like smart cognitively. And uh, so, yeah, I like it. I like the. I like the Via Heart X uh, Stanley Stanley Steamer coming together. Now you are you're very known <laughs> on TikTok. You're you're like on here. You're known as a toy seller. On TikTok, you're known as a as a man, a worldly man of advice and life lessons. You had a very interesting story on there about a true warrior knowing when to retreat. About an incident that happened in Mexico. Can you give us the brief on that and what you learned from it? Yeah. So I, <laughs> as you said, I'm very well known, mostly for being retarded, but. Uh, yeah, one time I, I went over to Mexico and I found this factory and um, I ended up getting in a fight with the guy who owned the factory who actually wasn't Mexican. He was an American guy. So it was two gringos fighting in Mexico. I went to his factory. I felt disrespected by him. He felt disrespected by me. And then I just ended up storming out of the meeting and he chased after me and I was like in the parking lot of his factory and he was like he was older than me but he was like pretty jacked and but i was like mm, i can take this guy and then i realized like man if i fight this guy even if i do beat him up like i will just be beaten to death by 10 mexican factory workers for like you know fighting their boss and so i like realized like i i hate this person i want to punch him in the face he wants to punch me in the face but i just need to take the l and so i was like i'm sorry I'm sorry. You're right. I was being disrespectful. And I like backpedaled my way out of there with my tail between my legs. And I felt like such a useless piece of shit, <laughs> bitch of a person. But you know what? I didn't die. And so I guess that video was like, sometimes in life, you need to know you need a retreat. And that's what that video is about. Yeah, no, it's smart. You got to sometimes you got to let your ego die, right? And not just start a fight on international soil and, and create an international when you're just trying to get some stuffed animals pumped out of a factory. Makes sense. Now, another thing, you like to you like to attack gurus once in a while and you said the reason why is most business advice fails. Why do you think most business advice fails? Wow, that's such a deep question that I'm not ready for. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, because a lot of business advice is total bullshit. And the people who are giving the advice don't even practice what they're telling you to do. There's so many people on Twitter. There's so many people on social media who are like, yeah, like go buy this e-commerce course. But in reality, they don't even operate an e-commerce business. Their main business is selling courses. So what I said on, so like, if you want to know what advice to listen to, ask the older people. And I don't mean like people in their forties. I mean like people in their sixties and seventies who've seen, they tend to have a lot of wisdom. And then the other thing is like, don't like, don't listen to what I'm telling you. Like, ignore what I'm telling you. Just watch what I do. Like, that's, that's a better way to know whether or not the advice I'm giving you is real. If I tell you to do something and I do it myself, then you can, you can probably trust it a little bit more. You know, I hear you. I, every time I see someone who's just like their product is they're teaching you to do a product, but like they're not necessarily successful at that, whether it's like podcast advice or e-com selling. I'm like, if you knew how to make a successful podcast, why are you just doing this? Te- like, why is your main show this teaching one? And you've never drawn a dime with anything else. You know, I'd rather talk to the operators. I'd rather talk to someone who's who's actually in the situation. I'm a huge hater. There's so many people out there who are like in real estate and then like telling people that like, oh, you should go start a services business. Like, why don't you go start a services business? I don't remember if I'm allowed to swear on here, but like, it's just so ridiculous. And I'm just so tired of the yeah, I will beep it. Izzy in the back, he's going to beep it on the uh, on, on the replay. The live audience gets to hear the full uh, uncensored Molson heart. Hey, your documentary is right on your Twitter account. How, first of all, how did people go find it? It was really well put together. Yeah, so the name of the documentary, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on TikTok. You can find it on Twitter slash X. It's called Amazon Market Power Monopoly. And it's really cool, and it'll really show you like what's going on behind the scenes, how the sausage gets made, and you'll learn a lot about e-commerce and all the weird stuff that Amazon does, and also the the government's response to it. And so it would mean a lot to me if you guys checked it out because it was a labor of love and also pretty risky to put out there. It was high, highly recommended. Go check it out. This uh, gentleman has some balls to uh, to stand up like that and talk about it. But like, you know, also take the L a little bit, realize that 95% of his distribution is through Amazon. Maybe we can make some things better. Um, but this is also the reality that we face as sellers. Now, people who want to get an awesome stuffed animal or some awesome brain flakes, where do I send them to? Amazon. <laughs> I don't know. Check out, check out viaheart.com. Check out brainflakes.com. Um, and you'll find our stuff. Just don't click the ads if you end up doing it on Amazon. Please don't click our ads because those are so expensive. And uh, yeah, thank you. I, oh, if I like my heart. that cost you like a CPC. I do that to like my enemies on Twitter when I see an ad from like an enemy I don't like. I just click it and then exit. <laughs> I always click the joc.com ads. Just just to cost them a, a nice hay penny. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, Molson. Well, hey, thank you so much. We'll catch up with you next quarter. We'll talk some more e-com and everything. Hopefully your truck shows up pretty soon and, and everyone just have to, doesn't have to wait around talking too loud. Thank you. I'm sorry. I was hoping to like have a container unload in the background as that's we were doing good. this, but they didn't show up on time. Look, that's Maybe part of listening. That's <laughs> the reality. That's the reality of supply chain. These things happen in real life. Thank you, Dooner. Appreciate it. Take care, Molson. Good gentleman over there. Check out his documentary. It's about 48 minutes. It's shorter than this show. It puts a lot out there. It's succinct. It's quick. It dives into a number of things. Like I said, I think even if you're from Amazon, it's it's a fair documentary. It talks about things that I don't think anybody in the space doesn't know about. But if you want to know more about the space, you're going to learn a hell of a lot more from it. Speaking of products, meanwhile, you think this could do well on Amazon? Check out this couch right here. These guys, their couch up. They're, if you see, they're pouring some gasoline in there. They've put an engine in the bottom of it turning the motor on maybe the guys from ev semi corp could make an electric version of these (laughs) because that definitely sounds like an ice motor going on these and these guys just driving down the street he's got a little joystick in the middle if you see it there it's a little toggle (laughs) no helmets nothing though i mean this would go bad if you like a semi truck for example were to hit you beautiful i would buy that if that was for sale uh just dan says just gave me an idea for our annual flea market cart competition john chess it looks like a motorized dress from jill and ken says i don't want one of those i need one of those you know what you need to renew your insurance if you got a truck we got jackson alexander senior vice president of sales at reliance here jackson how are you how are you doing are you in chattanooga by the way it's cold here 
Uh, I am not. I'm actually up here in Milwaukee, and I bet it's colder here. But thanks for having me on the show. No, look, we had like a seven-degree morning the other day. People up north are laughing at us, but it, 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 it's, it has us in shambles. Well, Jackson, we're going to talk about renewing insurance a little bit. Let's start at the let's start at the underwriting process. What do we got to think about here? Yeah, sounds good. So um, before coming to Reliance, I actually was an insurance underwriter at a company called Acuity Insurance in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For those of you that don't know, as an insurance underwriter, I was the one that said, you're a trucking company, you're getting $6,000 a truck. You're getting $10,000 a truck. You're getting $17,000 a truck. Uh, based on a number of different factors that we're going to walk through um, today. So all the folks from Motor Carries listening in out there um, that have handled their insurance program, I'll sure, I'm sure they love uh, the insurance renewal process. It's their favorite part of running a trucking company, right? But yeah, I what I want to talk about today is what it looks like from the other side of the table, the underwriter's point of view, and how that can help you as a motor carrier as you prep for your insurance renewal. So as an insurance underwriter, which I was, I would receive a submission from an insurance agent, which I am now. And when I say submission, it's a set of documents the motor carriers are familiar with, their driver's list, their loss runs, their IFTA reports, and so forth. And the insurance agent says, here, underwriter, give me a quote for this trucking company. And I know the trucking companies wish it was as simple as, okay, snap your fingers in, here's the quote, right? But the process is a lot more detailed than that. So Typically, what happens is the underwriter sends the information to their processing department who puts all the information into a computer computer algorithm. It can be very, very complex or it can contain just a couple of different factors. But what I do is I educate my customers on what factors are most important for which insurance companies. So if one of my customers has really poor driver turnover, I know insurance companies X, Y, and Z are probably not going to be a good fit for them because the computer writer for those insurance companies heavily emphasizes having long tenured drivers, right? Whereas I know some other insurance carriers literally don't care about driver turnover. It's not a factor for them. So they might be a better option for this motor carrier. So however, once the inf information's all put into a rating model, it spits out a number. That is not the end of the process. In fact, that's actually where the underwriting really begins. So the number that's spit out of the computer rater is called the manual insurance rates. However, underwriters have what's called scheduled rating, and this is huge. So the manual rate that you get, the underwriters are allowed to deviate from. It depends on the type of coverage and the state that regulates the, the policy. But in some states, you can deviate up or down 50% from that manual rate that the computer spits out. 50% is a lot, right? If the rater says your quote should be $10,000 a truck, you can actually get a quote for five, or you could get a quote for 15,000 if the underwriters increased your rates the maximum they can. So it's my job as an insurance agent to paint the prettiest picture possible for these underwriters so that they can get the full maximum amount of credit applied to their manual rates. And I'm not talking about my customer is a nice guy. We play golf together, right? It has to be something tangible here. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Now, I got a question for you because I, I have some EV truck guys on after you do. And it, is one of the considerations if a truck is an EV, like have you insured any yet? Does anything change with like EV insurance? I think you're going to see more of that in the next five, 10 plus years. Right now, typically we're still talking manual vehicles. Cool. Okay. So what is the current state of that uh, insurance then? Yeah, so right now on the primary liability piece, um, insurance or trucking carriers, sorry, are not really seeing big increases across the board. They're not. And that's because there's so much capacity in the marketplace. Mm. What I mean is there's a lot of newer startup tech-based insurance companies that are causing a bit of a wave. They have quicker underwriting processes and thus lower expenses, and they can offer some cheaper quotes as a result of that. So some people may not want to hear that, but it's just true. Some of these insured tech startup companies are also using trucking companies' telematics data by connecting to their GPS or their ELD device, and they use that as an underwriting factor. They believe that looking at individual driving behavior is the best way to underwrite a trucking company and price an insurance quote. So most carriers that are looking around for quotes right now are not seeing increases on the primary auto liability piece because there's so much competition out there. However, on the excess liability side, things are much tougher. When I say excess liability, other people think of that as umbrella. So yeah. typical primary auto liability pieces are your $1 million in insurance. Some bigger companies carry excess liability to increase their limits. 
So if you have 1 million in primary liability, 4 million in excess, you have a total of 5 million in liability insurance. The excess liability, that additional 4 million, the, the rates for that are skyrocketing right now. That's primarily because of nuclear verdicts. If you have a fatality, a significant injury, be prepared for your insurance company to pay out a lot of money and your, the price on your excess liability insurance renewal to increase substantially. The capacity and the excess space is just not there like it is on the primary piece. Interesting. Wow. Anything else we should know about this, Jackson? Um, there's a few things that are the most important factors for your insurance company's insurance renewal. Your okay. individual loss history, what underwriters like to say is, we use the past to help predict the future. If you have 20 accidents each year for the past five years, you're probably going to have another 20 next year, right? It's just that simple. Growth. Companies that have only been in business for three years with 75 trucks are not going to get as good of a deal as an identical company with 75 trucks that's been in business for 30 years. Just because you haven't proven yourself for long enough yet, there isn't enough data to support giving your company a really good insurance deal, right? Years in business is almost always one of those automatic rating factors rather than a subjective underwriting consideration. So even if the insurance agent prints the prettiest picture possible to the underwriter for why this trucking company is so great, the rating model is just going to skew so unfavorably for newer trucking companies. There's just not enough data to support giving you a good rate. The number one factor, though, um, for determining a trucking company's insurance rates are CSA scores. Okay. And insurance companies view this what's called um, a cab report. So CAB is a program that insurance companies pay for to view motor carrier CSA scores, just like freight brokers use Carrier 411. And CAB contains a lot of information, a lot more than people think. Of course, it shows your CSA scores, what your DOT rating is. It also shows your out-of-service percentage, how you compare to the rest of the trucking companies in the United States. It shows where your trucks are being inspected and how often they're being inspected there shows the shippers you're hauling for when you are inspected. It gives the insurance carriers literally every single DOT violation you've had in the last two years. So if you've had 100 hours of service violations for false logs, underwriters are going to ask questions. Do we let drivers use personal conveyance? What disciplinary action do we take if a driver's running over hours? There's a lot of information out there because trucking is so heavily regulated and the information is so accessible. Yeah, the FMCSA, I know why there was just a headline on FreightWaves. They're butting heads over CSA scores and using truck tech to feed into those and determining your CSA score. And, you know, some smaller trucker companies say, hey, we don't have all that tech yet. It's going to cost us a ton. It benefits. It's, but either way, it, it could factor in. It could be a big deal. And it's the kind of thing you need to talk to your insurance provider about. You've given us a lot to think about. Where do people go to get more information about their insurance renewals and making sure they're good, covered and compliant? to be made whole again in 2024. Yeah, check out Reliance's website, reliancepartners.com. Also look us up on LinkedIn and you can check my personal profile personally as well and shoot me a message. I'd love to go through some motor carriers cab reports with them and say, this is what makes you attractive from an insurance perspective and this is what you need to improve on to help drive your rate down moving forward. By the way, Jackson, speaking of uh, Amazon, I heard you're, if you're in Milwaukee, I heard your brewers might be going to Amazon Prime. Bally's is fine, maybe moving over to Amazon Prime. I'm pretty excited about that because in my market, it's only on FUBU and FUBU doesn't have TNT or TBS. So like you subscribe to that cable channel, but like you can watch the Braves during the season. You can't even watch the playoffs. It's insane. Yeah, it gets blacked out or whatever. Don't get me started on the whole streaming services and whatnot. I won't. I won't, Jackson. You've given us enough to think about. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, everybody. Elsewhere. This says, uh, Historic Vid says, This 80-year-old retiree noticed that people were abandoning their dogs near his farm, so he took them in and built a train to take them out for rides. Uh, Time Capsule Tell says, This is Eugene Bostick. He's the retired farm owner, already somewhat of a celebrity in his hometown. Bostick's story has been blowing up around the world this week. His footage of the inventive contraption he built to walk nine dogs at once spreads online, and that is pretty awesome. Look at all those good boys. I'd love to get uh, Randy and my other dog on there. They'd have a great time. All right, drop the... Oh, wait. Jen Henderson says, What a wonderful idea. Photo artist, man, is a genius and an OG. And then Epitome of God's Love and Mercy says, why would anyone abandon dogs? Lovely, adorable, loyal creatures. 
Amen. Epitome of God's mercy. All right. We have two awesome guests here that are going to give some clarity on what's going on in EVs and warehouses and that we're ruling. It's Ollie Danner. He's the founder over at Zero Rig. And we got Jay Carrera. He's the CEO over at EV Semicorp. You guys have met Jake before. It was a little over a year ago. And the problem his company was solving is EVs are expensive, but people want EV fleets. So what do you need? EV Semi Fleet Corp. We haven't met Ollie yet. Ollie, what is Zero Rig all about? Well, our rig, our zero rig, basically, we uh, we work with uh, fleet operators and, and shippers and carriers around the country uh, and help them with their um, their transition and education uh, to zero emission trucks, hydrogen and electric. So I started this uh, venture about a couple of years ago. I've been in the infrastructure space for 12 years. So uh, we get to talk to a lot of local fleets. I'm in Kern County. Uh, you know, we the San Joaquin Valley, where we where I reside, we have the worst air in the country. So we're, we're not tree huggers here. We're, we're, you know, we're an oil county, uh, but we are trying to clean the air. And so that's sort of our, our mission with Zero Rig. Yeah, well, a, a noble enough, a noble enough mission. And Jake, when I when I first met you, you were like, you know what? I need to make a load board for for EV semis, and we need to start getting these deployed. And you realized how much they cost. What's what, what's going on at EV Semi Corp now as we enter 2024? Yeah, so briefly after we talked to you, we uh, we bought a Nikola Trade Bev, the first one in Florida, and learned a whole lot about that. Um, it's funny, the, the guy before you was talking about insurance, or before us was talking about insurance. And in Florida, we got progressive for, uh, for dry van only, and we were only able to insure our semi-truck up to $250,000. Wow. And... Here in Florida, we don't have any incentive, so we had to pay the max price for the for the truck to get landed here. Um, so it's just it was, it was funny to hear about that because we couldn't even get the whole truck insured. Um, Interesting. Maybe you should talk to Reliance yeah. instead of Progressive. They may they might be they might have a better policy for you. Maybe, but uh, yeah. So next time we'll talk to them. But we no longer have that truck. Um, we're positioned to still get the fifty Tesla semi trucks ordered two years ago now. Ooh. Uh, you know, we, we sent Tesla $1 million two years ago to reserve those, to lock the orders in. And we've been playing with different models, you know, like how are we going to deploy 50 semi-trucks nationwide and actually do over-the-road trucking? And so through this whole search, we came upon owner-operators, some in Florida, some in, uh, you know, up in like the New York area, a bunch in California who all want to make the transition but don't have assets, orders, or even the know-how to do it. So we're partnered up with Zero Rig because combined, we're trying to create owner-operator solutions so that day one, a trucker can get access to an electric semi-truck and actually be able to pull dedicated loads around along electrified networks. Um, and, and I feel the owner-operator route is just such a quality route because they're hardworking guys. They've been in it for a long time. They know the routes, they know the freight, and uh, so I think it's going to be a good partnership just just in general. And so we're creating the load board and a little training platform, uh, EVCDL.com, so that we can train the, the, the new generation on these trucks as well as get them routes in electrified networks. Interesting. And you know what? Like when we focused on EVs a lot on the show, we've talked about the ports because that's where the issue is most prescient over in California because of, of CARB and not being able to register new diesels. I mean, that got extended to the end of the month. Compliance is where we talked to Harbor Trucking Association all about that rigmarole that is happening over there. But now we have to look at warehouses too. There's a program that impacts 4,000 warehouses in Southern California. It's known as the WARE program. It stands for Warehouse Actions and Investments to reduce emissions. And um, I was trying to read through this. It's a little complicated. So maybe you guys can help me out here. Who, who's most familiar with this WARE program and how like EV trucks would factor into it? So, yeah, I mean, uh, we could both, we, <laughs> we, we could both mm -hmm. talk about it. Basically, it, it's, uh, it's uh, sponsored or, or backed by the South Coast Air Quality Management District. And so the goal here is to reduce emissions in the LA Basin. Um, and we may find, as after I explain this, we may find this WARE program uh, uh, populates mm -hmm. other areas of the country. And so what it is, it's, uh, you know, warehouses, distribution centers, uh, you know, they have diesel trucks coming in every day. And so what they, they have uh, goals they need to meet to reduce greenhouse gases. And they can do that in a few ways. So, and if they don't meet some of these goals and there's like a point system, 
If they don't meet these goals, then they will be fined or have get a, a bill in the mail at the end of the year saying you owe this Air Coast District a certain amount of dollars. But the, the, the goal here is to reduce emissions because the LA Basin is so impacted by commercial trucking. It's needed, we get that. Uh, but th but their goal is to reduce emissions, especially along major corridors that 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 leave the ports. And a, lo a lot of trucking companies, you know, running drayage, run from the port all the way to uh, Inland Empire, and so they're running around, along these same routes. And so, th as far as the distribution centers go, what happens is they need to put in uh, to, to re relieve their points or, or satisfy their points. They need to put in charging stations for trucks that show up to pick up loads. Uh, they can also put in uh, microgrids and solar to reduce their carbon emissions of their, so that, that warehouse reduces an emission profile. And so what they're trying to do is get that, that profile down. And, and that could be through, uh, you know, transportation that coming in and out of the, the warehouse or uh, our microgrids. And so it's a complicated kind of, you, you almost need a consultant to help your, your distribution center. And then if you have your own fleet, you get extra points for, for transitioning over to electric trucks or, or even hydrogen for that matter. But we're a few years away from hydrogen. So in a nutshell, it's to reduce the emissions in, in a certain area of the country at, in the LA Basin by putting in charging stations, supporting electric trucks, and putting in uh, renewable energy systems at these warehouses. So what, what happens if you don't? Like what happens if you don't follow this at all? How do the points, like what's the incentive? How do they benefit you at all? So basically, you know, it's sort of uh, you could drive uh, without a license and you get stopped and you get fined, right? So uh, you, you could probably drive for a year and never get stopped. You may drive forever, but you, eventually you're going to get stopped. And, you know, there's a reporting mechanism every quarter that these warehouses have to submit to the Air Coast. You know, that reporting system, again, takes a little bit of training on the, 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 uh, the, the owner level, you know, and, and facility managers. And so if you don't comply... Uh, you have that right, uh, but you will be getting a substantial uh, fine or, you know, I, whether they call it a fine, I forget what they call it, but it, it's, a, it's a bill that you have to pay. And it's based on how much of your carbon you, you, uh, uh, you know, emitted or not emitted, you know. So uh, in, in that, that part, there's an algorithm, you know, formula that you have to kind of follow by and, and uh, you'll get a bill for, you know, $30,000, $100,000 at the end of the year. Now, I, I would imagine some distribution center and say, you know what, I, this is just too complicated. I don't want to put in charging stations. I don't want to put in microgrids. And the challenge is sometimes a warehouse, the, 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 uh, the, the, the tenant doesn't own the property, right? So uh, it, it, will, it falls upon the owner of the property, not, not the leasee, right? So uh, that's where it gets a little complicated. Interesting. Now, Jake, how, how do EV trucks fit into all this? I was seeing in some of the documents that truck turns played a big factor in. How does someone like EV Semicorp service and help with this situation? Really just the transition process by itself. You know, one, once Tesla ramps up production and we can actually get 50 trucks landed, we're really the only reservation on the list so far that can put trucks nationwide. You know, uh, Frito-Lay, they have their defined routes, Pepsi, uh, you know, everyone else who ordered kind of has a, a set use case where us, we can put a truck at one of these facilities that needs to test out these new models overnight. And then after we do it there, we can bring them to another operation. And it, it kind of raises the question of, you know, when we do purchase these trucks, do we purchase them outside of the state of California or do we purchase them in California? And I think it's going to be like a 25% in California and you know, keep those trucks at the port. But the other 75% of the trucks, I think they're gonna be much more valuable landed and utilized outside of uh, the, the, the regulations that are going on right now. Uh, and so hopefully we can get these trucks into people's hands that are trying to do the transition early on rather than, rather than them spending you know, $10 million just to get into it, we can bring our assets over. We can really help with the transition and get some really good data for the industry, you know, from, from numerous freight, freight routes across the nation in different applications with different types of freight. Um, it's, it's going to, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good, uh, a good rollout. And I think it's going to help the industry total evolve, you know, in this whole EV realm. 
is, is the current slate of EVs ready for prime time? I know a few fleets who have bought Nikola's. They've had a few issues with the with the recalls, with charging, with fitting it into their network. It's been very test piloty for a lot of of companies. What do you see the state of of it right now? And and when will we be ready for prime time if we're not yet? When you get those semis from Tesla. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, you know, uh, for for port use, you know, uh, we've seen we've seen many models that are highly successful with these, with with uh, you know the, the Volvo VNRs, the Nikola Trade Bevs, the um, the E Cascadias. The, these trucks fit really good to find routes within the port areas. But once you get outside of you know two hundred miles, it's it's just it, it doesn't make economical sense to pay a guy to sit there for three four hours to charge. Yeah, you know, and so. I think when it's really going to come up to, to, to actually over the road application is when we have charge times all with under two hours and at least these trucks going 400 miles, you know, but, but that's going to take OEMs to build efficient drivetrains. That's a big one. Uh, aerodynamic vehicles, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the ones on the market, they're just not aerodynamic. And that's a big part of, you know, moving freight along long routes. So I think I, th I think the Gen two, Gen three trucks are going to be much more efficient, a much more much more effective, and make a lot more sense for people to utilize and go down this path. Um, the second way is if Tesla just gets in massive production and just produces, you know, five, ten, twenty thousand a year, then we can all start actually utilizing the best technology on the market right now. Ollie, yeah, what are we and, and, yeah, and I'll kind of add a little bit to that. Uh, you know, it, uh, CalStar just uh, released a report showing the uh, the amount of uh, medium and heavy duty trucks on the road right now in, in operation in the real world. And there's about eighteen thousand in the real world. You know, so there's quite a few trucks that are operating every day, and uh, and there's different use cases. You know, there Schneider Electric has a hundred uh, E Cascadias in operation, and they run them in the LA area. You know, and Schneider has what 13,000 trucks in their fleet. Uh, so there, there's a use case, uh, you know, for for the uh, the, the, the short range, drayage, medium uh, range, uh, you know, routes. Uh, so they, they're in operation and they're in use every day, uh, and we're seeing more of that. And, and you look at the growth year to year. I think uh, in 2022 the growth was like 400 percent of uh, electric trucks, and last year was like 200 percent. So it, the, the hockey stick is, we're, we're seeing a huge increase. The, the biggest challenge, I think, with electric trucks is going to be the, the, the need for the energy, right? So we have three different lanes of, of, of industries looking for energy to power their electric vehicles. One is the passenger vehicle, where we're putting in fast charges along freeways. Then you have the commercial space, the trucking space. And then you have the other, like, uh, transit buses and school buses that need power as well. So there's three different lanes of, of industries that say, hey, we need power to build depots behind the gate, public charging. Uh, so th there are trucks in, in operation now, and, uh, and, and they will kind of pass some of the, you know, they're, they're in real-world use cases now. You're, you're going to get to see a lot of them at your event that's coming up next month. You've got the 2024 Trucking with Clean Fuels Conference. It's coming up February. Oh, it's a leap year, February 29th. Special year. That's right. Yeah, I don't want to like give you some bad slogan like "leap into the future" with electric trucks, right? <laughs> what's going to happen? At, what's up with this event? What's good? Why should someone attend? Well, you know, so it's going to be the world's largest uh, zero emission convoy. Number one, it's it's also going to be uh, the world's largest ride and drive uh, of electric trucks. We'll have 30, 35, everything from uh, class two B all the way to class eight. Uh, it will be the most expensive uh, convoy in the world as well. <laughs> as we know, the price of the trucks, and I need to talk to uh, Jackson here, get him out there and insure everybody. So uh, but uh, so we're going to do a parade, a convoy uh, from 9 to 10 on the 29th, where uh, we'll have media, dignitaries, and policymakers there to kind of showcase all of these vehicles where people can come and see all of these zero-emission trucks uh, and hydrogen trucks in one spot. And so it should be quite the... The, the opportunity to film zero emission trucks and talk to the industry uh, professionals and fleet operators and dealers and policymakers and infrastructure people and energy folks. So we, we have quite, we also have sessions uh, that will talk. And our goal is to bring in this, this event is really meant for fleets to have them come in a no pressure situation for them to kick the tires, drive the trucks. Uh, they can drive it around a two mile track. Uh, obviously there won't be any trailers there. 
but uh, you know they, they can kind of get a sense of how electric trucks accelerate and uh, and uh, and learn about and talk to the dealers and the OEMs and, and, and get a sense of where they need to be. And you mentioned you know uh, advanced clean fuels and advanced clean uh, fleet, uh, fleets and trucks. Uh, you know, so there's going to be a lot of talk about uh, the regulations, and, and we're there to really educate uh, fleets and, and teach them about the technology, the infrastructure, regulations, so they understand what to prepare for, who to start talking to now. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of the uh, the premise of the event. Well, I know that. I know my buddy Matt McClellan from Covenant is listening. He loves these kind of events. Matt, you can go register at projectcleanair.us. Check out that event. It looks like a great time. Now, Jake, I know you were watching Jeopardy last night, so I got my box of OK Boomer questions here to make your life hell. I've got one question. Whoever, whoever, whoever raises their hand first can answer. I'll, I'll call on you. All right, you guys listening? It's a history yeah. question. All right. In President okay. Reagan's Berlin Wall speech, what famous line was directed at the leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev? Uh, <laughs> tear down this wall. <laughs> you, got, you got Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Hey, you guys have been great. Everybody go check out EV Semicorp. Go check out Zero Week and go register for this event at Project Clean Air. US. Good luck, guys. I'll follow up with you afterwards, see how the event went, and uh, and we'll see what's new in EVs. Thanks, thanks, gentlemen. Thank yeah. you, too. Have a good day. Take care. All right, good stuff. I, I knew Ollie had that one. Ollie was, Ollie was just dialed in, especially when I said history. All right, people, it's good news, bad news Friday. Hey, hey, everybody. Good news. You're rich and you want and you want a bunker. Bad news: this bunker costs two million dollars and it's in Polo, Missouri. Take a look at this place. You do get a free MSC container with it. It looks like nothing from outside. I mean, this place has zero curb appeal unless you like a big snowy backdrop. But you get a lot of space. Zillow Gone Wild says you don't need to be a billionaire to have your own bunker because here's a chance to have your very own 10K bunker in beautiful Palo. Per the listing, it is a private water well. It has a private water well, a new pump, and a substantial 10,000 gallon stainless steel water storage tank all seamlessly connected to an Aqua Sina Walter filtration system. The bunker is equipped with an emergency escape hatch and a towering 177-foot communications tower as well as a gym, soundproof music studio, Studio with recording studio, you get a theater room with a pool table, glass blowing studio. I don't know why, in case you like blowing glass. A recreational air with 16 foot ceilings. It has 2.5 foot thick concrete walls, EMP resistant copper shielding, and two 3,000 pound blast doors. My problem with this house though is it looks more like a finished basement, right? Like it's not that deep. Like if someone dropped a nuke or something on you, would you survive in there? I don't know. Maybe this is more if like the purge anarchy or like that movie Civil War takes place and you could just hole up in there until society calms down. What would you think? There's no windows, too. I need like um, some like LEDs, you know, those LEDs that give you like that, that fake being outside. I need some blue lights in there, too. Although maybe that was that room. You go in there and you get a little photosynthesis on your body. What do you think? Two million. What, are you guys a little nervous, too? Why is everyone selling bunkers all of a sudden? What's going on here? Wasn't Justin Timberlake or Bill Gates or no, the the Facebook guy? Yeah, the Facebook dude. He was building a bunker, wasn't he? I don't know. By the way, good news. You got, you got a GPS. You're doing great on your way to delivery. Bad news. You paid attention to your delivery. I mean, your GPS and ended up like this guy. Well, we need to get you backed up and you need to follow the road back out to the highway. Do you want to follow me? Okay. So what happened? Hey, you're not on the highway no more. You're about 400 yards off the road. This guy's face is just so confused. Like, oh, what? <laughs> it just doesn't register. Oh, you're following the GPS? Mm-hmm. So you just followed it off the road into the dirt? He has no. Yeah, food. you might not have very good service out here, so you might have lost it. But yeah, that's Highway 30 right back there that you were on. It looked like you went through the fence, and you got really lucky because you about hit a gas well. Oh. There's a gas well, and there's a pipeline sticking out of the ground that you about nailed. That would have been bad. So, so let me move my car. 
and I'll get you backed up. And we'll get you on this dirt road, and you can follow me back to 30. Okay. What a mess. my car first. Mitchell Mankowitz, he says, man, I had to rescue one of my drivers that was dependent on GPS. And when it died, got lost and ended up in the state game lands due to his on a single track gravel road and didn't think when the asphalt ended to stop the truck. I got him out, though. Well, that's good to hear. Mr. Grinch said GPS is not to blame. Swift is to blame for putting a clearly unqualified person in seat. Hey, fair enough. El Rancho Someday says my GPS back in the day when I was still driving told me the customer was in the middle of the river in Duluth. Needless to say, I didn't believe it. Uh, customer was on a side road by the river. GPS couldn't tell the difference. Good thing that was an autonomous truck. It'd be a floating autonomous truck. Egg Sheen said, I'm always impressed that there are people out there that don't instinctively look over an entire route of travel before embarking, especially the parts that aren't on major arteries, if for nothing else to get a feel for where something will fit and where roads actually exist. Good idea. Well, hey. Little uh, bad news. You're a cow and you're trapped and you've lost your freedom. Good news. Take a look. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Bro, there's no way I'm getting this. Oh my god, oh my god. Look, he's making a break for it. Ooh, he looks like he landed pretty well, too. I think that cow's okay. People were saying, why didn't they let this guy know that a cow fell out? They did let him know a cow fell out. They're telling him right now they said a cow fell out. I don't know. I got to talk to Laura Ann Dooley. She hauls bulls. I don't know if she's ever lost a cow before. Hey, Memphis is a hotbed. We always talk about Memphis and freight. Uh, the bad news is you had to bring your fate through there. Um, WREG reports a group of people tried to break into an Amazon truck that got stuck on Holmes Road because of ice Thursday morning. The stranded driver says, I just stopped in the middle of the road. The truck started going back and I slid a jackknife going into a ditch. He said he called a tow truck, but no one came to help him. A group of people come by. They say, hey, are you okay? And then he uh, got on the, then they got on the phone to call call someone moments later the driver said more than 10 people arrived and tried to break into his truck when he confronted him they left driver said he called the police but they never came memphis is getting tough now you don't want a good bathroom when you're out traveling bad news you know you're on the road you gotta do your business good news chris thomas the indie trucker he has like the, the dave poor and i one bite only but now it is of truck stop bathrooms and he says new trend truck stop restroom rating simple thumbs up or thumbs down um <laughs> use truck s word and take a pick keep it pg-13 y'all i-90 connecticut ohio exit 241 truck world is the one he recommends so you gotta go that's where to go find me on twitter at timothy jr find the show at fw what the truck take care have a great weekend we'll see you on monday and don't be a stranger